Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for being our victory. We just declare you as the victor. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would um, you'd receive much praise as we uh, continue to open up your word and to, to seek your face. Lord, then I pray that you would take your word and cause us to be able to sow it into other people's lives. Your message, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just give great freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And Father, I pray there would be great freedom today for us to proclaim your word, to receive it, and, it be, and we'd be changed by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I have been so appreciative of uh, Pastor Rick's messages, um, especially of lately going through Daniel. Haven't you learned so much through Daniel? I have. I've learned tons through Daniel. And um, one of the great themes that he's been, he's been focusing on that's in Daniel is prayer. And so as I prayed uh, about what God would have me to speak um, today, uh, I sensed that the Lord was saying, don't let up. Keep going. Talk about prayer. And I just want to say today that I think prayer is the most important thing that we can do. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is the most important thing that we can do. I'm so convinced of this that I've even tried to to help organize my prayer life. Do you ever ever, ever trouble organizing your prayer life and just can't remember everyone to pray for? If that's you, I've got an app for you today, okay? The Prayer Partner app. Here it is. Um, I'm telling you, this has really helped me. Um, and I know for all you iPad users and, and iPhone users, iTouches, this has been such a, such a help to me, and I just pass it on to you. Now, you've got to promise me, for all you iPad users, I don't want you just downloading it right now and plugging in all the requests while I'm preaching. I've, I'm checking. The balcony's going to be checking on you down here, okay? Okay? And the Lord's going to be checking on you guys up there in the balcony, too. So... Um, but I, I encourage you, I encourage you to, uh, to, to pray, to seek God. Why would I say that prayer is the most important thing we can do? Well, let me put it this way. I don't believe that you would be here today if someone wasn't praying for you. Think back, maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher who prepared those messages every week and, and prayed for you. Prayed that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ. For me, that was Donna Waggett. When I was five years old, she prayed. and she, On Easter Sunday, she, she told me how Jesus had died for me and had risen to new life. And later that day, with my father, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Who's the Donna in your life? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a neighbor, a co-worker, aunt or uncle. Maybe they were the ones who brought you here. I know my parents, they, they and my grandparents, they'd get down on their knees before their bed and they would pray, first of all, that I'd come into existence. It took eight and a half years to get me. And then they prayed that I would love and serve Jesus. And so today... I am here because of a result of their prayers. And guess what? You're, you're here today as a result of their prayers. Some of you might say, John, that's nice, but I, I just don't know who's praying for me. I just don't know who's praying for me. 
Well, I want you to know that as, as a church, we're praying for you. We pray for you generally. We pray that you'd come and that you'd hear God's word. You'd be changed by it. But there's somebody who's praying for you that's even more specific. His name is Jesus. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus went to God the Father and prayed for you. So why was God the Father praying on your behalf? What was Jesus praying for you? Would you like to know what the most important person in the whole universe is praying for you? If you'd like to know that, please turn in your Bibles to, to John chapter 17. If you don't even want to know it, still turn to John 17, okay? John 17. If you don't know where that is, just turn in, uh, look at the table of contents in the front of your Bibles and look for the Gospel of John. Turn to that page number and then go over a few chapters to John 17. And um, we find that John 17, this is the personal prayer of Jesus to God the Father. We're told often that Jesus went alone to, to pray. And, um, and despite that, the Scriptures rarely give us any insights into what Jesus actually prayed. It was kind of like a, an intimate conversation between him and his father most of the time. But the disciples knew that this was the secret. Prayer was the secret to Jesus' powerful ministry. And in fact, we find, find all the things that, if all the things that the disciples could have prayed for, that Jesus would, would, would teach them how to, 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 to do one thing, of all the things, whether it was, whether it was um, preaching or whether it was uh, maybe casting out of demons, uh, maybe it was having a great family life, all these things that the disciples could have asked Jesus how to do. Maybe even, you know, make those mud pies, you know, with saliva. You know what I'm talking about in John chapter 9, verse 6, that they use and they put on people, Jesus put on this one guy's eyes to heal him. Like, that would be really cool to learn how to do that, wouldn't you think? But that's not what the disciples wanted to know how to do. They wanted to know how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples came and they asked Jesus how to pray. And so Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. But it's in John 17 that we find what was on the heart and mind of Jesus. And I I believe he's still in the heart and mind of his prayers for you. So... Always, whenever we're reading the scriptures, we always have to look at the context. So notice what it says in verse 33. I have told you, Jesus says, these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises his disciples peace. It's backed up just in the, in the verses prior to that, that Jesus promised that God himself, the Holy Spirit, would come and live inside him. And that, that each disciple would, would be blessed with the Holy Spirit as they come and live inside them. And, and, then, and then earlier in chapter 15, we find, as we proceed, what's called the Olivet Discourse. That Jesus has been praying just before he goes up the Mount of Olives. And he promises that we will become friends of God if we will abide in Christ. If, we will, if his words will remain in us. And so then we find all that context and we see that Jesus actually proclaims that he overcame the world. He encouraged them that, that he had conquered the world by being the one person who would actually influence the world without being contaminated by it. You see, all the rest of us 
have been influenced by the world's patterns and philosophies and thinking. But not Jesus. He conquered the world, so he prays this triumphal prayer sometime in between the Last Supper with his disciples. And we find in chapter 18, verse 1, as he's heading up to the, the Mount of Olives, when he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And so Jesus begins his prayer by literally, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, lifting up his eyes. Now some theologians think that Jesus also lifted up his, prayer, his hands as he was praying to his Father. We find that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, that, that lifting up holy hands in prayer... And so as Leslie Newbegin describes the scene like this, he says this, When a man is going on a long journey, he will find time on the eve of his departure for a quiet talk with his family. And if he is a man of God, will end by commending to God not only himself and his journey, but also the family whom he leaves behind. Very surely will this be so if his journey is the last journey. Think about that. Today, Jesus is gathering you as part of his family, around. And he's declaring some final messages for you. He's declaring what he'd pray for you. If you believe in Jesus, you are his family. He wants you to know what he longs for you. He wants you to know what he's praying for you. Jesus even declares his prayers will bring his disciples joy. And I believe today that you too can experience joy. If you embrace what Jesus prayed for you. So let's, let's, let's read it. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they, they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they, they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. That's Judas, of course. So that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, 
And your copy probably says any more than I am of the world, but it should be better translated, even as I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Right, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It would take weeks, maybe a couple months for us to go through this verse by verse. And uh, I think today I want us just to focus on three, three requests that Jesus is making on your behalf. The first request is that Jesus, that Jesus made for you was that you would experience God. That you would experience God. Notice what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he doesn't, just, he doesn't mention God. Golden streets and angels playing their harps. As, as much as how great that will be. You know what he talks about? He talks about knowing God. Knowing God. That's why we can't just know about God. We have to know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. We need to know God in a way like a married couple know each other. See, a married couple, they're not supposed to just act like neighbors. They're not supposed to just act as friends. As important friendship is in marriage. They're not just supposed to act as roommates. No, a married couple lives with each other in such a way as they know one another's desires and thoughts. You can know God like that. Recently, I was, um, I was down in London at my parents' place, and um, my kids and my wife were not with us, uh, with me, and and uh, so I kind of got to just spend some really quality time with my, with my parents. And my dad was preparing for, for surgery. And uh, thanks, by the way, for, for you who prayed for him, and he's on the mend. And um, as I watched my parents, it was so neat to see how my mom would know what my dad was wanting and thinking. And they've been married for 46 years. And so it was really cool. You know, if he wanted something, he, she didn't even, he didn't really even have to ask at times. Now, I'll have to admit, there was a few times that they weren't on the same frequency. But for the most part, for the most part, it, they, they knew, knew each other so well. And when they didn't know each other, that's what kind of makes life interesting, right? It's the same with God. 
You can know God. Be on the same frequency as him. You can know what his thoughts and desires are for you. There's going to be times where you're not sure, but he'll show you. And that's why we have all eternity to, to be able to know and to, to love him. And the really, really awesome part is that he will fill you with more joy and with more love. Verse 13, it says that at the end, it says that he has given us a full measure of my joy within them. That's what he's promising us. Then in verse 23, we see that, that as the same way, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The same love. That's amazing. Seven times we find in this passage that Jesus states that believers are the Father's gift to his Son. I want you to know today that you can experience God. You can experience God. He gave you Jesus, and if you believe in him, then Jesus declares, you are mine. In fact, you are doubly owned by God the Father and God the Son. That's who owns you. Look at verse 9, what it says. I pray for them. I pray not, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. So that's Jesus' ownership. For they are yours. It's the Father's ownership. So I must ask you, do you belong? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you experiencing him? Jesus prayed that you would experience God. If you're not experiencing, if you don't truly know him, then today could be the day of salvation. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Join his family. Believe on him. You will never regret it. The second request Jesus made to God the Father was for your protection. Protection from what? Protection from the world. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now, 18 times in this passage, the word world is used. 18 times. As we try to teach you here is anytime you find a word repeated in a passage more than three times, God's saying, hello, pay attention, this is really important. And the word world is used 18 times in this passage. So Jesus' use of the word world is important because the world is going to hate you if you don't follow its patterns. Jesus had already said this in, in chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And he repeats this again in his prayer. Doesn't this explain why you're frustrated so much of the time? When you, you go into the lunch room and you, you get in that conversation and it's just totally a different set of value systems than you have? Uh, doesn't that explain why you'd be frustrated when, when you're spending your money in a different way and all your, maybe your friends and your, even your family's like, come on. Given to the church. I know you get a little bit of a tax write off, but come on, that's way too much. You, you can go to Cuba with all that money. 
doesn't explain why you're so frustrated with, with things in the government and the schools. My friends, we shouldn't be frustrated. We should expect them. They have a different world view than we have. They have a different set of values. Many of you are stressed out because the world is not thinking or acting like you want it to. You care too much about what the world thinks of you. I like what Perry Noble's um, insight was. I think it's bang on. When, when you allow the voice of those who know you the least to define you the most, you are in trouble. Jesus is praying that you have a different perspective. That you live in an uncommon way. We find in verse 6, Jesus makes this declaration to God the Father. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Then verse 18, Jesus declares, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Listen up. God called us out of the world so that we might be for the world and reveal who God is through Jesus Christ. We are supposed to live differently. And it's done whenever we obey God and his holy word. Obeying God reveals the character of God. For example, if you forgive those who've hurt you, that reveals the character of of God and how he has forgiven you. When you give to the poor, to the needy, doesn't that represent how God cared and gave to you in your great time of need, your spiritual poverty? This is your mission in life. Jesus is praying for your protection from the world so that you can actually go back into it every day with his message. If you have that perspective, you will live in an uncommon, in a holy way. I like to think of it this way. God's, God's mission with God's message produces godly maturity. I'll say that again. God's mission with God's message produces godly maturity. Think about it. Every time that you have to go out into, uh, into the community or into your workforce or into their schools, right? Young people. If you, if you have to go and you have to tell them about Jesus with the message of Jesus, and you don't have answers, that's going to produce maturity in you, isn't it? It's going to give you strength. God's mission with God's message produces godly maturity. But it isn't just protection from the world, my friends, that you need protecting from. Jesus also prayed for your protection from the evil one. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. I am more convinced than ever that, there, that we are in a, in a great war, a cosmic war against the kingdom of darkness. In fact, God has been showing us through Daniel, and he's continuing to show us that there's really two dimensions. There's a spiritual dimension and a physical dimension. I kind of picture it this way. You know those, TV, you know those TVs where you have... Um, you can watch one show and then it has a little subset where you can watch another show. Well, guess what? I have a hard time. I'm a guy. I can't watch two things at one time. But, you know, God can watch things at all times. He knows what's going on in the spiritual realm and also in the physical realm. And it explains so much 
that there is a devil. That there's a devil behind the scenes working out his evil schemes. Nevertheless, because Jesus is praying for a specific protection from the evil one, brothers and sisters, we don't have to fear. I heard a, a pastor friend tell me um, this story, how he likes to think about our interactions with the devil and all of his underlings. Um, he likens it to a postal carrier. There's a postal carrier who one day was walking and delivering, delivering the mail, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came these big dogs. And they scared him, and he just ran and ran and ran. And um, uh, he, he, he escaped. He was a little bit torn up, a little bit, you know, flustered, but he escaped. Well, the next day on his route, he decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to skip that house. I'm going to skip that house from delivering the mail to them. My friends, we can't do that. We can't skip out and delivering the message to the places of evil. Don't be afraid of the dogs. Jesus will take care of the dogs. Get your focus on Jesus. I liken it to um, Brian Hooper. Brian Hooper is one tough dude. In fact, when he was younger, he told me that he's getting a few fights. And he has actually turned that, that fighting ability into positive gains, fitness training and, and kick, kickboxing. Well, he was telling me a story about when um, his, his little brother was younger. And he, the little brother, little brother was on the schoolyard. You know, for all us firstborns, we can relate to this. You know how younger brothers sometimes are kind of a little annoying at times, right? Well, this younger brother... Um, was, was out there and just kind of taunting uh, his classmates. And, and his classmates said, you know, we're going to beat you up. And uh, his younger brother said, okay. But um, tomorrow, you're going to have to deal with my brother. Oh, yeah, what's his name? The kid said, Brian Hooper. No one ever touched <laughs> Brian's brother again. We have the same power available to us. Jesus is looking out for us. He's bigger and stronger than Brian. Jesus is our big brother, and he'll come to our rescue. In fact, he'll bring along his daddy, our daddy. Amen? Come to our rescue. In fact, verses 11 and 12 shows literally that the name of God protects his family. Why is that in verses 11 and 12? Did you notice that when I was reading to you? I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Why is that name of God, the name of Christ, so powerful? Well, think about this. A name always represents a person's character, doesn't it? When you submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, there's a great promise that God makes, backed up by his name, by his own character, that the devil will flee. James chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus' name is never to be used as a magical formula. No, you are literally calling for your brother and daddy to come and to rescue. And the whole eternity, he'll come. He promises to. Jesus prayed. For your protection. The third request Jesus made to God the Father was not only um, the request of, of that you would experience God and that you'd be protected from the world and from the devil, 
but that you would also glorify God through unity and holiness, which, which always go together. Let's just for sake of being able to understand the two, um, separate them. First of all, unity, which follows up from Jesus' request for protection. Think about this, as Dean Sermon says. Unity is a powerful means of spiritual warfare. Unity is a powerful means of spiritual warfare. I like to think about those gazelles in Africa, right? They all huddle up. And if they all huddle up and they, they have their, some of their sentries, they're looking out, no lion attacks. But it's when that little, little gazelle goes over here and says, Oh, look at that nice little grass. I think I'll take some of this grass. That's when the lion comes, right? Attacks. That's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That the devil is like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. We must stick together in unity. It's a form of protection. But it's not just a form of protection. It's a form of witness. A witness of the character and love of God. At the end of verse 23 again, I and them, Jesus says, and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity shows that Jesus has been sent into the world. Just look around this room just for a second. Just, just take a look. Look how diverse we are. Look at all the different ages, young and old. Look at all the different races. Look at all the different backgrounds. We're all coming here voluntarily. Very few of us are getting paid to come here, right? You're coming here because of the commonality you have in Jesus Christ. That is an amen. Jesus is praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Not sameness, but oneness. Oneness is both a a state or a position, but it's also a process, just in the same way that, that a married couple, on the day that they're married, they're one. But they also grow in oneness, don't they? If they prioritize each other. If they put the other first. By doing so, they elevate the, the other person and they're changed to be more like them. This is also true in our lives. It can happen in a church. It can happen in marriages. And it happens in our relationship to God. We become like those who we worship. Or as a friend told me this past week, you become a fan of those you talk about. You become like them. It isn't just talking. It's, it's starting to act like them. How does that old saying go? Imitation is the best form of flattery, right? When we seek to become one with another person, laying aside our own agenda to do what they like, that is valuing or praising that person. How much greater is this true with our relationship with God? Are you glorifying God by being on the same page as God? Jesus prayed that you would be. And you find that you become on the same page with God as you take his word and put them into practice. You become holy as he is holy. This is why Jesus is also praying that you become holy, sanctified. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. 
Your word is truth. Jump down to verse 19. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. It's the truth of God that helps unite us. See, truth and unity are never at odds with God. It's never like you have to say, okay, do I choose to follow God over here and hang out with him, or do I choose to do what's right? It's not like going to school and say, should I fit in, or should I fit in at work, or do I need to do what's right? No, truth and unity in God's economy are always, are always together. Jesus is praying for your unity with God and, and each other based on the foundation of God's holy word. Unity and sanctity are Jesus' passionate pleas for you. So those are Jesus' requests. But this begs the question, does God the Father hear Jesus? Or is God the Father aloof? Is he like me sometimes? I gotta confess as a dad, sometimes my kids are talking to me, I'm thinking about something else. Does that happen with the interaction between God the Father and God the Son? You know what I'm talking about, right? Fathers, sometimes that happens, we're not paying attention. Turn your Bibles to John 11, 41, 42. We'll find the answer. This is another one of those rare times where we find Jesus actually disclosing what he's praying. And in this account, Jesus has raising from the grave his friend Lazarus. And it says in verse 41, So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. God the Father always hears God the Son's prayers. Amen? So how are Jesus' requests being answered? When, to be honest, some of you feel like you're not really experiencing God. When some of you don't feel like you're being protected from the world and from the evil one. When some of you just feel like you're just not unified with other believers. You're not any different. You're not any different than your neighbors. In fact, they might even be living more more lives than you are. They don't even believe in Jesus. Well, the answer is found in the same place where Jesus was heading to as he prayed this prayer. Jesus didn't just pray for you, but he literally put feet to his prayers. He walked up a mountain and he died on a cross for you. This is how he did it. You can now experience and know the Father in a way that you could never before because you are now called his son, his daughter. And the same love, the same father love that maybe you never received, you can now receive because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. You are now protected. You are now protected from the evil one. You are an accepted child of God and have a right to call on your big brother Jesus whenever that big bully, the accuser of the brethren, accuses you. 
First John chapter 3, verse 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we find this amazing promise about what Jesus did. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Any accusation Satan makes against you, you're covered by Jesus at the cross. And now, And now you can glorify God because Christ has unified you at the cross and made you one with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and has made you one with his church. He says that now you can live together in an uncommon way, in a holy way, sanctified by his word. You are now given the Holy Spirit who brings unity to your lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So it's at the cross where Jesus' prayers are answered for you. It's here that he accomplished everything that he prayed for you. He's the only one who could do that. None of us, when we pray, can fully accomplish all that we've prayed about. Jesus can. Jesus did. So is then that it? Jesus prayed for you? Jesus accomplished his prayers for you? No. No. There's more. He is even now praying for you at the right hand of God the Father. You might be discouraged. You might be beaten down. You might be in trouble. Romans 8, 33 and 34 gives us a picture of what Jesus is doing to the Father right now. It says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus just keeps saying, I got that one covered. I got that sin covered. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it declares, Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because, listen to this, He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus was raised from the grave in part to intercede for you every single day. Jesus' prayers are victorious. His daily prayers for you. You might not feel, you might feel like you're alone in a desert. Hungry, Jesus is victorious. You might feel attacked by the world, by the devil. Jesus is victorious. You might feel fruitless, not seeing much much happen in your life that's good. Jesus is victorious and is making you holy even in those, those waiting times. And he's making you one with God and his church. There's only one thing that we must do, brothers and sisters. We must now praise him because he is praying for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus to come, to live, and to die, to be risen again. Thank you for what he did on the cross, and thank you for for him now living to make intercession for us. Moment by moment. And Lord, so we pray that now we would, we would pray the same kind of prayers that Jesus is always praying for us. 
and we want to praise you. Our job is to glorify you right now. And God's people said, amen. I began today showing you a prayer partner app. Do you think Jesus needs a prayer partner app? No. Every day, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. And he knows what you need even better than you know. He's now giving you a mission and a message. And you need to go out and declare. He's praying for you. Will you go? Will you take up the charge? Will you go out into the harvest? And bring more in. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus praying for us. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you for now commissioning us to have this message. We need it, Lord. And I pray that we would go in the strong and mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And God's people said, Amen.